you're listening to Don't Be an Asshole, a spiritual guide, a podcast where we discuss life, music, and spirituality. I'm your host, Eric Tomure. All right, here we are, episode one of Don't Be an Asshole, a spiritual guide. I'm really excited to share on this journey with you guys. First of all, Every single week, I'm going to explore a thought or a scripture or a quote that I find particularly meaningful, and then we're going to have an interview with a special guest. The content's going to be driven by the life and experiences of each week's guest, but there's going to be a couple of questions that I always try to get to. The first one's going to be, tell me about a song that always brings up the same memory, and we'll talk about the song and how awesome that song is, and we'll talk about the memory and what that brings up. And number two, I'm going to ask them why they continue to lean into their spirituality. And if they aren't, why not? So that's going to be the basic premise of each interview. Now, my goal with the podcast isn't to get you to believe what I believe or how I believe, but simply to question why you believe what you believe. Now, this week, what I want to do is set the tone for the rest of the episodes of the podcast how I arrived at this title, and what my central belief system is. I grew up in Oklahoma in the 1980s. That's considered the buckle of the Bible Belt, and I went to a pretty conservative evangelical Christian church. After I messed around as a teenager with some light drug use and blackout binge drinking, I got back into church, and by the time I was 22, I felt like I was supposed to be a preacher, so I went to Bible college down in Texas. There I met my wife, Rebecca, we got married, and I spent 18 years in full-time Christian ministry. Two years ago, I resigned, and I'm going to get further into that another time, but suffice it to say, I needed a break from ultra-conservative mindsets. I found myself doing some voiceover work and trying to break into acting um, in front of the camera, but not as the leading guy, but more as the the large bearded dude in the back, because, you know... Well, if you see a picture, you'll know. But I found out that I still had a lot to say about spirituality and life. I would be on these Uber drives because I drive for Uber in order to pay the bills. And I would be out with these people and we would have these long conversations about life and spirituality. And that got me thinking that even though I don't want a pulpit ministry anymore, I still have a lot to say. And so the genesis of this podcast was born. So... What I believe, the central theme to what I think Christian spirituality is, can be found in a verse in the New Testament, Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31, that says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Over the next several episodes, I'm going to spend a few minutes before we get into the interview breaking down all the components of that passage. Now, the situation is this. Jesus is out teaching. And a guy walks up and says, yo, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? To which Jesus replies, the first one is this, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And that opens up a whole lot of other questions. But to me, what this boils down to is love God, love people, and don't be an asshole. In my opinion, this is what all the major religions boil down to at their root and what living a spiritual life looks like. Loving God, loving people, and just not being an asshole. 
The title of this podcast does have some built-in hypocrisy, though, as I actually believe that every human being is an asshole. Not all the time, but at least part of the time. Maybe even most of the time. I get some pushback whenever I make that assertion, and I make it probably every single day. But here's the deal. I have three beautiful children. They're well-behaved children. People watch these kids, and they're like, wow, these kids actually act pretty good. But... And I have a wonderful wife whom I love, and I love more than anybody else on the planet. But when I look in the eyes of my children and I have a conversation with my wife, at my core, I know that I am right. When I look my children in the eyes, I know I'm right that every single human being, all 7.5 billion of us at our core are assholes. The secret is to not let it spill out on everyone all the time. So that's pretty much the central core of who I am. This week's podcast has no official sponsors, but it would be awesome if you would check out an audiobook I narrated called Bin Laden's Bald Spot and Other Short Stories. You can buy it on iTunes, Amazon, and Audible. It's funny, it's clever, and I think you'd enjoy it. So I hope you check it out. My first guest is Tim Connolly. Tim works at the Office of Religious Life at the University of Southern California in addition to teaching Intro to Media at Santa Monica College. He has also taught history of hip-hop at Cal State Northridge. Our conversation was enlightening and pretty long, so I broke it into three episodes. Here's part one with Tim. Let's figure this stuff out together. I got the uh, headphones in because it's the professional thing to do, first of all. And, <laughs> and uh, second of all, it's so we can hold for sound, like if that police chopper comes back around. Oh, dear. You know, they those USC students. Voices. Welcome to South Central LA. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to hear police cars, fire trucks, and LAPD choppers. L- the ghetto bird, as we call it. The ghetto bird. All right. Man, it is it is good to be back on campus, first of all. I'm... Uh, Bringing back some memories. I'm not going to cry or anything, but um, it's some good some good times here. It's a good place. I mean, it's a little different than uh, some other campuses. It, you know, USC is trying to at least the former president. I don't know who we're going to have president now. It's a whole other story. Has tried to capture some of the East Coast's flair, flavor, and look. Mm-hmm. So. I remember the first time I set foot on this campus. I was working at, with campus ministry over at UCLA. I was very hesitant to come over here, uh, mostly because of a stupid football game when USC killed the University of Oklahoma in that 05 uh, championship game. (laughs) And I was a big OU fan growing up. I was like, oh, hell, I'll never work over at USC. And I set foot on campus. I just felt God just kind of start moving in me. And I loved the campus immediately. I loved the feel of the campus immediately. It was uh, just my speed. It's funny you mentioned that football game. I had met some of the players at OU, the current players at OU, because I was there in the years people try to forget the John Blake era <laughs> in the, the mid-'90s to yeah. going into the late-'90s. At least it wasn't the Schnellenberger year. No, I was not around for that. I was <laughs> That was before my time. you know. But I didn't know these new crop of players, and so I met a few of them in L.A., and they were just kind of – out, I don't know, where was I at? Near a mall or something. And I, 
I told the guys, I was like, hey, I used to play on the, I was like, oh, you, yada, yada, yada. You going to win? I need to know. Come on, man. You, I need to hear some confidence. And they're like, oh, we're going to blow them out of water. Well, oh, <laughs> that God. was not the case at all. And I was like, maybe we all jinxed <laughs> the game that day. But oh. that was a real tough one. But back to what you were saying, this campus is really – it's an interesting place, and I always tell people this about Los Angeles. Los Angeles is what you make of it. It's a big city. It does not move as fast as New York. It moves fast, but in a different way. If New York's at 100 beats per minute, we're probably at 85 beats per minute in terms of how we move because it's a car culture here. But uh, USC is kind of a microcosm of L.A., and you get when you're on this campus, you're getting a, a taste of what Los Angeles is about in, in some respects. That makes sense, yeah. Uh, I couldn't put my finger on it when I first got here. Matter of fact, the first time I walked on campus, I want to take back what I said before. I was showing somebody around who was in from out of town, and they wanted to see the campus. And I was like, gosh, dang it, I don't want to go see that campus. And I was like, oh, this is nice, this is nice. And I walked into the bookstore. And so this would have been in 2008, 2009, and I walked into the bookstore, and on every freaking television in that damn bookstore, they were showing highlights from that OU-USC championship game. And I got so mad that I left campus. I was so upset. I, I don't, I'm not that into sports anymore, but at that point in place, I was like, oh, dang it. And then the t- by the time I drove home, I pulled into my parking garage because I lived in Culver City, so not that far. I was like, this is stupid. This is stupid that I cared that much about a game. And because that campus is beautiful and I feel drawn to it. So it wasn't too long after that that we took over working on the campus ministry over here. And I got to meet you and I got to meet uh, all the people on staff. And it's been a wonderful experience. Is that the get? No, not the ghetto bird, just a truck. All right. We're, we're very close to uh, Transition Street. So it's like the 10 freeways down the street, mm-hmm. 110. And it's just. Anywhere you go in L.A., you're going to find busyness. It's just constant cars. <laughs> right, yeah. that's. Uh, I remember when I first moved to L.A. in 2005, uh, we moved in June, and the first time I went home was for Christmas, uh, home being my parents' house in Oklahoma. And at that point, my mom and dad lived on 40 acres out in the middle of nowhere. Wow. That first morning, I woke up. The first night, I had to like put on like a noise machine because I was so used to living in L.A. that I was. It, it was the noise was... Uh, a comfort to me by then the next morning I was like it is so quiet in Oklahoma it's like a blanket of quietness I, I don't know I don't I don't really want to live anywhere else I kind of uh, fallen in love with LA and the and the culture and and the people and you know some I say I fell in love with the people I mean just the title of the podcast don't be an asshole a spiritual guide comes from the fact that I think everybody's an asshole. So it doesn't matter if it's Oklahoma or LA or New York. I, I see somebody and I know deep in their cult, deep in their core, they're an asshole, you know? Uh, but the secret to life is to do your best to mitigate that. So that's why this was, don't be an asshole, even though, you know, on the lowdown, we, we all are, you know, I think we all have moments where we dove into that, some more than others, and I think, I think the goal, at least for how I think, is how do I, as you say, mitigate? How do I work on ways to, to um, as these feelings are coming up, one for everybody typically is driving in this city, mm-hmm. that I don't go to the extreme. Like I saw the other day, there was a car in front of me, and the car in front of it 
um, the lady's turning her finger around and pointing at this person who was honking profusely at this car. And it was so bad that they were just blocking traffic going at each other. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about those a-hole moments, that's definitely one where like you go, wow, man, have I ever done that? <laughs> I think everybody has had moments. And it's not just the big moments. It's those little quiet moments in our hearts where we're just like, you. You just look at someone like you. And it's not that's not love. That's not peace. That's not joy. It's just, it, it's not our, it's not spilling out on other people, but... Uh, Freud, uh, the psychologist, psychiatrist, I should say, believed that everybody was depraved. Uh, everyone's humanity is evil. Everybody's depraved. Everyone wants to sleep with their mother, you know, something crazy. And his protege, Young, Carl Young, was like, everybody's pretty much inherently good. And things happen that make them do bad things. And they split ways. They parted ways on it. Where, where I am like, I think it's both. I think it's 100% both that everybody has the capacity for great good and everybody has the capacity for great evil. And some people seem to have a higher capacity level. And I feel that the people that have the highest capacity have a higher capacity for both. I mean, look at Bill Cosby. You know, the, the dude for his entire life has been nothing but awesome, great, awesome, great in the public eye. And then it turns out he's also proficient at raping people. Right. And I was like, not Bill Cosby. I think we all were, in, you know, from that group in that era. Yeah, yeah, and he had the he had the capacity for wonderful, great, awesome things, and the capacity for complete evil. And that's you know the extreme version of both. I think we're all we all have the capacity for good and bad. Hope you know, hopefully that thing. I think I'm probably I'm probably losing some people at this point. If anyone tuned in, they're like, "Oh, he's he mentioned Bill Cosby already. It's episode 1 and we're 7 minutes in." That's not exactly what I had in mind. I, I someone told me this guy was funny or something like that and but I, I do want to, you know, explore our spiritual sides, you know, the 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 part of us that goes, "Okay, even though we have the capacity for being bad, for being evil or just being a jerk, you know, it's not any great evil. What can I do to be better? You know, not the Melania Trump be better, but, you know, be better for real. Like, just in life, you know, you and me uh, sitting here at this table, we want to be better people ever, all the time. Uh, if that means seeking God, seeking your spiritual truth, speaking whatever that, seeking whatever that is, I, I just want to follow that, you know. Anyway, we, we have a lot to talk about because uh, I haven't seen you in a couple of years. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a, been a bit. And so the first thing I've noticed is uh, you're looking you're looking good, man. I appreciate it. I've lost about eighty pounds, so it's a lot of weight. Yeah, it's <laughs> a lot of weight, man. That's a, yeah. a that's a, a small college. That's a that's a freshman. That's a freshman uh, <laughs> trying to figure out where to get food from in the dorms. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that that's gone, man. So that that journey, man. I'm following it. What I see that you say smash. Is that is that an acronym for something or? It didn't start out that way, but mm-hmm. um, what happened was, um, I grew up a comic book fan. Okay. And so, and I also grew up on the television series with uh, with Lou Ferrigno as the Incredible Hulk before we had all the CG uh, capability right, yeah. now. Um, but in the comics. Uh, and even in the car- cartoons, 
the Hulk's thing, he would say Hulk smash or smash when he's getting ready to go and to battle or destruct something or just with this great energy move forward. So the whole idea around saying smash started out as just me saying, I want to work out with great power and great uh, ferocity like the Incredible Hulk would work out. Smash something, I should say. Yeah. But then I, th- I thought long and hard and I was like, you know what? There's a few folks who are hitting me up and it's like, hey, thanks for posting your video today. It got me to go on a walk or got me to just think about eating something different. And so then it turned into stay moving and sweating for health. All right, so yeah. So Smash actually has um, a different purpose than it did two years ago when I started this journey. So um, that, so when I post the videos on an Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, it's to really just keep this movement going. I think the movement is for all of us to kind of be considerate of taking care of these bodies we have because... You know, there's just so many things happening to so many people, and some of it can be preventative if we just do certain things. And as you get yeah. older, you got you got to make changes. The bodies you can't eat. What do we eat in college? Waffle House at, or, <laughs> or what do they have out here? Denny's and IHOP at uh, two two in the morning <laughs> all the time when you're yeah. getting older. So yeah. yeah, yeah, you go to Norms. Oh, gosh, Norms, that's another one, all of yeah. that, right? I used to eat all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. My favorite place in L.A., it's not open at 2 in the morning, it closes at 4 p.m., unfortunately, is the Griddle Cafe in West Hollywood, Ooh, and they have yeah. pancakes the size of my head, and I got a big head, yeah. so uh, I haven't been there in a while, man. But Yeah, it's been a few years for me, too. Yeah, yeah that's good stuff, man. So, um, yeah, uh, just anyone who's going to listen... Um, I don't like my mom uh, and anyone else who might tune into this thing. Follow that that fitness journey because you can tell a lot by where he was, where he is now, and that helps you see the trajectory for where it's going. And uh, I think that's a metaphor for a lot of things. You know, we can look at where we've been, look at where we are, and don't get satisfied. That's a trajectory. You know, we're heading someplace. Where are you as a compared to your college playing weight? I'm actually pretty close to that but my college playing weight actually fluctuated okay and it fluctuated because we changed offensive schemes at one point right so it required for me to be in the old days some of the offensive schemes kind of like if you think of the 90s denver broncos they didn't have any linemen over 300 pounds right so i went from like at one point i was like 300 and 25, 330 pounds as an offensive lineman, and I dropped down to like like 290, 295, and I think the max I was during that season was 305. They wanted you lighter because of the schemes we were running. Even though we ran the ball a lot, they came up with certain uh, passing schemes, and it didn't require uh, – and even for running blocking, you want guys that are pretty mobile too sometimes, yeah. not just big maulers like – traditional football so it just really had to do with the scheme so but I would say my weight was anywhere probably between close to 300 pounds and no more than 330 pounds and I'm probably close to my playing weight between 300 and 330 pounds and at one point I was over 400 pounds which was um, how I became a diabetic and awesomely my physician took me off one of the medications that's so awesome two weeks ago so, yeah. That's great, man. Yeah, because you were 
right around, I guess, your maximum whenever I was here, huh? Yeah, I had some tough times, and I can say it really hit me in 2016. I don't know what you feel like when you when you you know you're gonna die, mm-hmm. but I felt like if I don't do something soon, the way I feel right now does not feel like I'm gonna live much longer. And so either I make some changes, or something on my body's gonna give out because my blood sugar was like going crazy, and I was taking an intense amount of medication just to get it to come down. And it was all through negligence, just not eating right and. You know, you really needing to do new, needing to do better with the food. So for me, I was like, I can do something about that. I can't do anything about, you know, Father Time catches up to all of us, but right. I can definitely do something about my exercise and, and mentality around food. Yeah, absolutely. Even me. I mean, I'm a lot smaller. Uh, I'm five foot ten, about two hundred pounds. So I'm not a tiny little person, mm-hmm. but I know that two fifteen is like my maximum to where heartburn is a huge issue, sleep apnea is a huge issue, face looks all red and splotchy, you know, I mean, I'm just in bad health whenever I'm north of 215. And when I'm under 200, I feel amazing. But also what feels amazing is drinking milkshakes. So I have a, um, a problem. And yeah. but yeah, but I know I like whenever I'm like eating clean and, and doing everything I'm supposed to be doing, I feel a lot better in the long haul. So that's, uh, you know, so you're inspiring me too, to uh, pick up, pick up the thing and uh, try to you know pick up that rock and move it a little bit. So anyway, uh, I'll uh, post a link to uh, to your your pages and stuff. And if anyone wants to follow your your, uh, like I said, I have no. I mean, this is our first episode, so I mean, this could be my mom might tune out after she hears me curse once or twice. So I mean, oh, maybe wow. no one will listen listen to this thing, uh-huh. you know. Um, Wow, we've already you know, gone a ways, but I, I want to talk about a lot of things still. So we'll probably have like a three-parter with uh, my good buddy Tim here. The first thing I want to ask you is what what was it like growing up in Los Angeles when you grew up in Los Angeles? It's so different than it is now. When I got here, it was – well, I had been coming to Los Angeles all throughout the 80s because my grandmother lived here. Okay. And – in those days, we called it South Central L.A. Now they call it South L.A. I had basically moved from I had basically moved from uh, suburbia to here. The way I describe it is like if you have an animal that was raised in a, a zoo or something, and then you just say, "Hey, we're gonna just put him out in the wild and see how he does." Now mm-hmm. that's kind of how L.A. was. It was crazy. I mean, you couldn't go two blocks without there being at least one to two street gangs. And you had to know, there's a lot of things that no one knows. And like, I didn't know like all of the things I had, I learned, like what colors to or not to wear. Um, I learned quickly that you couldn't go in some neighborhoods wearing anything with red in it or anything blue on it. And mostly blue because there was more uh, crip, crip gangs and blood gangs in L.A. And we moved to L.A. about six months uh, before the L.A. riot, the 92 riots would occur. How old were you then? When the riots happened, I was 14. Oh, wow. I was 14 years old. So I was just a young high school freshman trying to figure out <laughs> life. It's already the most awkward time of your whole yeah, life. Yeah, so there was a whole lot there. Um, but the tension in L.A. was brewing. And I, when we moved here, I had never been in a place where I heard 
the LAPD helicopters, which were named the Ghetto Bird. You can hear that in the most early hip hop, gangster rap, hip hop music, or does gunshots every single night, whether they were close or far. So, in some respects, it sounded like a third world country at, at nighttime, and it was kind of scary because you couldn't. I went from being able to like ride my bike or skateboard or do whatever I wanted to do to like now, I couldn't go anywhere without like my mom or someone give me a ride because I wasn't in a gang and I didn't know anybody and it was just, it was dangerous. It was, you're now entering the second phase of the crack era mm. where crack cocaine was the, the business that was making all the money on the streets and it was the only real business in LA. And there was just a lot of tension in uh, different ways in LA at that time. Yeah, it was a uh, it was an intense place, and there was a lot of tension between the Latinos and the African Americans, and then the Korean community, which owned lots of stores throughout South Central LA. And an incident that happened, I don't quite remember when it happened, but it was before the riots. A young lady named Natasha Harlings, she was about fourteen, had got into it with the Korean store owner of like a liquor store, and she. F- got in a physical altercation with the guy and as she's walking out of the store after they had been physically uh, going at it, he shoots her in the back of the head and kills her. Oh, crap. Some of the burning that actually happened during the riots was they were burning the Korean stores down because of that situation. So you got the tension with the Korean community and African-American community, the Latino community, African-American community, and what you have is just the stress of, of... Social economic challenges and poverty. Yeah. Bottom line. Well, I just had a whole bunch of fun talking to my friend Tim about, well, just all sorts of things. And there are two more parts of this conversation. So I hope you'll tune in for those. We get to the music and we get to why or why not the spirituality. So remember, kids, love God, love people, and... Don't be an asshole. Check you next week.